7, and uh, we'll be looking at verses uh, 54 uh, through 60. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed towards him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's uh, begin this morning just with an opening word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come before you and we have heard your word. And give us eyes to see what you would have for us in your word, ears uh, to hear. That we might respond with, with a brokenness of heart appropriate as we recognize who Jesus is. As he has ascended into heaven and has been seated at your right hand, Father God crowned with all glory and honor, now radiating out a glory which he had with you since before the world began. May we marvel at this. May we just, maybe in a new way, in a fresh way, take delight in this. That it might mean something again to us as we confess, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Give me the words to say, Lord, from your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So we were going to have this uh, sermon last week, um, but no one got here. I, you know, I, I was here. I don't know where everybody else was. Um, actually, I, at one point, the snowbanks were so high on, on Saturday, I could barely walk over here. So, um, but we're glad you made it out to join us today. And, and the reason I point that out is this sermon connected with the one before it, which was uh, the whole sermon that Stephen preached. So now we've had a week in between, and hopefully you didn't forget uh, what, what Stephen said. But you'll remember, uh, just kind of by way of review, the the people accused Stephen of, of blaspheming God and blaspheming God's law and, and specifically Moses who gave the law. And so Stephen goes back to the Old Testament and he, and he walks through the Old Testament and he says, by the way, guys, it's the people of Israel, all of us, specifically the leaders who he's talking to the current bunch of leaders who have over and over and over again walked away from God. In other words, they point the finger at him and say, you are abandoning the word of God. You're preaching this Jesus guy. It's false. You're blaspheming the law. And and Stephen says, in effect, you want to talk about blaspheming God? Remember when the leaders made an idol? Remember when all those times that they themselves and now you have turned away from God? Uh, and, and, and so it, it's kind of like saying, you know, when, when, you know, you're pointing the finger at me, but there are three fingers pointing back at you, O oh leaders. And, and he, and he brings the word of God with such power. And then, of course, 
you know, they're not exactly happy to hear this. Nobody likes to hear that they're the bad guy and that they're the sinner and that they're the ones uh, that need to repent. But I want to start out this morning with, with just kind of an illustration now that we've, we've brought you up to speed a little bit. And I want you to think of what is the most beautiful thing that you have ever seen? Uh, maybe some of you have a picture in your mind. Maybe some of you have a, a specific uh, memory that comes to mind. Maybe, maybe a very beautiful sunset. Or maybe there was a night that, 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 that the skies were very dark or you were away from kind of the ambient light of the cities and you remember seeing more stars than usual. Uh, maybe you saw a fireworks display and you thought, wow, this is just amazing and beautiful. Uh, maybe for some of you, you remember when you first saw your, your wife, your bride on the wedding day and, and that sticks out as your mind as a, a beautiful moment. Just think about this for a second. What is the most beautiful picture in your mind uh, that you have ever seen. And then I want you to think about that and think about this. Jesus Christ in his glory is even more beautiful than that. There are many good things that God has made in this world that are that are beautiful and we can delight in. And God wants us to delight in them so that we might give credit to him. But beyond that, Jesus Christ in His glory, in, in His radiance of His majesty as He sits at the Father's right hand, Jesus Christ's glory is even more beautiful than that. And we can get so enraptured in, in things in this world, so enraptured even in, in good things that God has given us and saying, wow, that is beautiful. Wow, that is amazing. Wow, that is so wonderful. Maybe some of you like to take pictures of, of nature or I like to go hiking in the woods and you just walk up on these scenes and you just kind of take your breath away for a moment But I want you to think about those things in comparison to Jesus Christ. And if that takes your breath away, how much more is Jesus Christ beautiful? Is Jesus Christ radiant in His splendor, in His majesty? And our main point this morning, thinking along those lines, is simply this. Worship Jesus Christ who is the glory of God. You see, when you understand the magnificence and the beauty and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, there there is but one thing to do, and that is bow down before Jesus, uh, maybe not physically, but at least mentally this morning, and, and say, wow, Jesus Christ really is amazing, wonderful. Awesome in, in every sense of that word. I, I might have shared this before, but uh, my best friend when I was growing up, his mom would not let us say the word awesome in her presence. We, we were not allowed to come inside and, and say, wow, that was awesome, that street hockey game we just played. And, and her reasoning was, only God is awesome. And if you start to use that word about everything else, and I'm, I'm not going to nitpick with it, but the idea is you can really quickly water down that word. And sometimes we did, because we'd just be like, oh, that was awesome. We just had a lollipop, uh, uh, ice cream, that was awesome. And, and, and suddenly everything was awesome. And what, what then do you say about God? What do you say about Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is truly the awesome one. 
So this morning, I want to say this first, look and see that Jesus is the glory of God. There is a, a spiritual eye to this. The, the heavens are not going to literally open up this morning and a blinding light flash us like it did the Apostle Paul. But there is a spiritual, as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, look and see and envision in the, the mind of your heart how wondrous His glory is. So, we have in this passage, and we're going to back up here, look back at, at chapter 6, uh, verse 15, and you'll see as, as Stephen is, is beginning to interact and speak about Jesus Christ, you have this, this verse here, and it's almost like, like the first time I read through this passage, you're almost like, what, what do you do with this? What is going on here? It says, and gazing at him... All who sat in the council saw his face was like that of an angel. So they are there and they are looking at Stephen and his face looks like that of an angel. And, and you scratch your head and you go, what, what is happening? Why, why even bring out this detail? Um, you're not going to look at me today and see my face shine like an angel. Um, if, if, if it did, you'd, you'd wonder, what, what did I eat? Was there something radioactive, maybe, that I've been getting myself into? But in this passage, it's Stephen's face shines like an angel. Now, now I want to be real clear, this isn't a metaphor. This is something that actually happens. But it is a reminder to us and, and the audience. It's an echo of another time that this happened. Remember when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he is getting the law of God and he is in the presence of God and, and the cloud descends on the mountain and that, that cloud actually shields Moses from seeing the full glory of God. Uh, I kind of imagine it like being a foggy day where the fog is as thick as, as pea soup and yet, yet there is this radiant light that Moses is in the presence of God. And he comes down from the mountain. And what happens to his face? It glows like that of an angel. And the people are scared. And Moses then, uh, in the book of Exodus at times, has to wear a veil over his face so that the people don't freak out because he has been in the presence of God. God is quite literally showing these people who think that they believe in Moses, who think that they hold to the law of God, God is quite literally showing them that He is at work in the life of Stephen and through what Stephen is saying, just as much as he was at work in Moses. Not to put too fine a point on it, but you could almost say that Stephen here is a new and better Moses. He is bringing the revelation of God, not the law on the Ten Commandments, but the, the revealing of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Let me just read for you Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 and 30. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets and the testimony in his hands, he came down, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people saw of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near to him. The people hearing the message of the word here in the book of Acts should be hearing how wondrous Jesus is and they should be turning their hearts. And instead they are gritting their teeth. Like Moses, like Abraham, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, Stephen saw the glory of of God. Look at chapter 7, verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I just want to focus on that phrase, full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Again, we go back to Acts chapter 7, verse 2, where it says, Stephen said, Brothers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So, so God has this history of revealing himself to people. And he shows his glory. It, it, it of course, is, is not the full onslaught of glory because the Bible says that no one can see God face to face and live. And yet they are seeing images of God's glory. Small portions, if you will, of God's glory so that they might not be eradicated in the presence of God. Exodus 24, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days and the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went into the, up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Again, Exodus 33 Moses says, Lord, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where uh, you shall stand. And, my, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Uh, if you were at the rescue mission on Thursday, we, I actually preached through this passage. And the idea here is Moses is asking, I want to see your glory, God. And God says, you can't see me face to face, but I will, I will put you in, a, in, a, in like a little cave, in a cleft, in a, in a notch in the rocks. And, and, and this is symbolic language because God doesn't have a, a real physical body. The idea is he'll, he'll shield Moses with his hand. His, his face will, will pass by and, and Moses then will be allowed to, to catch a glimpse. It's, it's described as seeing the, the back of God. It, it's, again, God doesn't have a literal front or back. It's a, it's a way of describing to say to Moses, you can't see the full front face of my presence, but I'll let you see bits of my glory. I'll let you see pieces of it, if you will. Isaiah, another one, 
says in the year, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a temple high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. So uh, Isaiah is given a glimpse of the the glory of God, and, and and he cries out, Woe am I! For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. It's a way of saying, I'm a sinner. But he sees the presence and the glory of God. The other one that I just want to bring out, Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1. Not, not maybe a place where we go very often. Maybe some of us don't even know where Ezekiel is. But it's in your Old Testament. And it's the Word of God. And, they, and Ezekiel sees the glory of God. And there's this, this symbolic imagery. Ezekiel 1.26. And above the expanse. So Ezekiel's describing what he sees in heaven. And it's almost like this clear glassy sky. An, an expanse. And then he says above the expanse over their heads. Oh by the way there, there are four uh, bizarre looking creatures that, that are uh, up here in this expanse. And then it says above their heads was the likeness of a throne. So these, these high creatures which are kind of angelic in their, their nature which are pretty amazing and you scratch your head and you go wow this stuff is far out. And above it is this image of something like a throne. The likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. So picture this shiny sapphiring jewel that is just radiating and, and twinkling, if you will. And it says, seated above the likeness of the throne. So, so you have the expanse, then you have this shining throne, and, and above the likeness of the throne was the likeness with a human appearance. So you're seeing a real being now. And upward from that, uh, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from that, what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. It's, it's this shining radiance of the glory of God. It's just beaming out. Brighter than, than the brightest fires and spotlights. And, and notice that Ezekiel is always using this language of it was sort of like. It was a likeness like. It was an appearance of. He, he is letting us know that, 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 that you can't put into words what you're describing. You can't encapsulate who God is. God does not have a, a physical form. And so there's this word, it was like this, it was like this, it was sort of like. Just so we would get in our heads this absolute beauty of the radiance. And like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So the picture of this, this beautiful rainbow. It says, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. You ever drive down the road on, on a semi-rainy day and... And off in the distance, you kind of see the clouds, and, and there's this break in the clouds, and this, ever see where like this beam of light shines down, and then you see this, the, the kind of glistening mist, and, and a rainbow begins to appear, and, and maybe like all around you and behind you, the skies are ugly and nasty, and all of a sudden there's just this breaking open, and it just kind of takes your breath away. Ezekiel is saying, this is what the glory of God is like 
Why did God make rainbows? Well, we know it's because of his promise that he would never flood the earth. But but why are rainbows so beautiful? Because it gives us a picture of the even greater beauty that is the beauty of God's glory radiating out. Ezekiel says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one who was speaking. In the book of Isaiah, God says, I will not give my glory to another. Other people, human beings, regular uh, Joes like us, God doesn't give us His glory. We don't get to, to put that mantle upon us we are, we are sinful creatures. We are finite beings. We cannot handle the onslaught of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ is described in, in Hebrews chapter 1 as the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. That Jesus Christ radiates the glory of God. Because He's the Son of God. Now take all of that thinking, package all of that, this glory of God, Jesus Christ as as the radiance of God, and then look at what Stephen is saying. I saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. So go back to that Ezekiel kind of throne room. You have these creatures that hover, these circling wheels which go every direction. And, and I don't even know sometimes what to do with that, but it's, it's just amazing. And then above that, you have this expanse. And here is this something like a throne. And Jesus is not down here on this level where the angels are and they cover their faces, where the four living creatures are and they minister in the presence of God. Jesus is up here at the expanse next to the throne where all of this rainbow glory is radiating down. Stephen is saying Jesus is up there right at the glory of God. He's living there. He's standing there. And He's not being destroyed. And He's telling everybody, I see Jesus. If Jesus isn't God, Stephen just committed high treason. He just blasphemed the living and true God because He said, here is God the Father and here is Jesus And this is all in the throne room of God. And and these people that hear it, they get what Stephen is saying. And rather than marveling and saying, wow, I want to worship Jesus, they, they become even harder in their hearts and they go and they kill him. In these throne room scenes, in Isaiah chapter 6, we were described, there's, there's angels, and it says, each had six wings, two he covered his face with, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. 
And Ezekiel 1.23, it says, Under the expanse, so you have that throne in the expanse, uh, their wings were stretched out towards one another. Each of the creatures had two wings covering its body. So these are all beings that are in the presence of God, but they're, they're lower. The, the Jewish people knew what it was to have angels who could be around God, but they cover their eyes. There's a, there's a Jewish writing from the period of time uh, around this era, and it says, it describes the throne of God picking up on this Old Testament language. It says, The glory was sitting upon the throne. As for his gown, which was shining more brightly than the sun, it was whiter than snow. And they say this, None of the angels was able to come in and see the face of the excellent and glorious one. A Jewish source saying the angels couldn't even approach God. And here is Stephen talking to these Jewish people saying, Jesus just approached God. Jesus is standing in the presence of God, his eyes uncovered, as it were. Him radiating out with the Father all the divine glory that comes from the throne room of God. Jesus really is, in every sense of the word, truly God. Do you, do you believe that this morning? That Jesus really is God, God the Son, distinct from the Father, but, but co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in power and glory and majesty, so that there aren't three glories but one? There aren't three majesties? but one distinct persons, but one God. That God says, I don't share my glory with another. He means there are no other beings like him. But within the one being of God, the Father radiates glory. The Son radiates glory. The Holy Spirit radiates glory. When you and I come to know Jesus Christ in our hearts, we are metaphorically, spiritually speaking, given a glimpse of that glory. Listen to the language of Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 15 and 16, he says, Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, whenever the law he's talking about, whenever this is read, he said, a veil lies over their hearts. The, the people that don't turn. Why, why is it that some people hear the word of God and they don't turn? Because a veil lies over their hearts. Just like a veil was over Moses' face that kept the people from seeing the glory. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 2 Corinthians 3.16 Then 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the image of God. So, when we become saved... God, as it were, takes that veil off of our heart, that, that hardness that we didn't want to know who God was, that we wanted to rebel against Him, and He allows us to see His goodness. He allows us to understand His majesty, to come in some small measure and worship Him. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you are confessing in Him and believing in Him unto salvation, God is opening your eyes and you begin to see how wonderful Jesus is. And it's like seeing the glory of God. It's not physical in the way that it was physical for Stephen or Paul later on on the road to Damascus. But you do begin to see how wonderful Jesus is. And in the book of Revelation later on, people, uh, one of the churches is warned that they have lost their first love. That they have wandered from that. And I wonder if, if some of us here kind of fall into that category of we, we came to the Lord Jesus Christ and we saw how wonderful He was and we felt this great burden lifted from us when we first got saved. And now it's years, maybe decades down the road, and this idea of Jesus is sort of ho-hum. Yeah, we know that He's forgiven us. Yeah, we know that we're going to heaven. But we've lost that wonder, that sense of His beauty. Come back to that. Come back and and recognize again who Jesus is. And and just in your prayer life, maybe, you, you go home today and you pray and say, Lord, you really are amazing. And I haven't thought about it for a while, just how amazing you are, Jesus. Second, this morning, this one will go through a little quicker, but do not be afraid to tell people that Jesus radiates the divine glory. So Stephen here actually speaks what he says. He said, behold, I see the heavens open. He didn't just, you know, think this in his head. Wow, this is pretty amazing. He, he says to everybody around him, I'm seeing this. And of course, this is why they, they want to kill him, because they know what he's saying. He says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Let me offer you an example where this idea of Jesus as the glory of God is just really, really practical. You get a knock at your door. And someone is there and they have this nice little tie on. And they have a nice little assistant with them who's in training. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Either a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. In this case, we'll use the example of a Jehovah's Witness. And they say to you, you know, uh, are you ready for the millennium or whatever, you know, whatever their leading opening line is. It, it's been a while. They, they don't really come to the parsonage very much. Uh, although, uh, when I was in Mount Pocono, we did have two Jehovah's Witnesses actually come to the church the one time. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking, but, but uh, um, they weren't going to lead me astray, thankfully, by the grace of God. Anyways, so, so they come, and, and if you've ever talked with them, a Jehovah's Witness believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And they will actually say, uh, in, in very carefully couched language, they, that they believe that Jesus is God's Son. But then you begin to talk with them, or they begin to share with you, and they believe that Jesus is a created being. They believe that he is Michael the archangel. And so they believe that that Jesus is God's son in the sense that there was a time where Jesus didn't exist. 
and God created Jesus. He had, as it were, a son. And then that son, Jesus, helped create everything else. And so Jesus is distinct from God the Father. And Jesus, while you can honor him, while you can say a lot of great things about him, at the end of the day, for them, you cannot worship Jesus. And so you might go to the Jehovah's Witness and you might say, well, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And they'll say, yes, yes, we do. Yes, this is great. And you're thinking, all right, they're halfway there. Maybe they really are saved. But ask them what that phrase, Son of God, means. And they will tell you that Jesus Christ does not, from all eternity past, share in the glory of God. The Bible says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know what the Jehovah's Witnesses say when they get to that verse? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. In other words, this being the Word was sort of divine, pretty high up there. An angel, kind of in the presence of God, being around the glory, but not actually sharing in the full glory of God. When we say Jesus is the Son of God, when the Bible says Jesus is the Son of God, it means Jesus is God the Son. That for all eternity past, there were Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in one divine glory, being the one true and living God. We need to tell people that. Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus wasn't just a a good, exalted figure. Jesus is not just somebody who went to heaven when he died and was an example for all of us. Jesus is the Son of God. God, the Son. The Bible says, I do not give my glory to another, God says. But then He takes the Son and He he displays to the world that the Son had glory with the Father from before the world began. This is the language of John's Gospel. That Jesus in the death and resurrection is raised up and glorified. And and Jesus says, it's glory that you're going to see that, that I've always had. It's not something new. It's just now displayed to you. More often than not, the people that heard Stephen and heard Jesus, the, the Pharisees, the leaders, they understood what Jesus was saying. John's Gospel tells us that, that they took up stones to crucify Jesus, to kill Jesus because He was claiming to be one with God. They understood it and they rejected it. My fear is that we as Christians don't always understand this or understand the implications of what we're saying. We worship Jesus. Why do we worship Jesus? 
because he's more than a man. Certainly in his earthly life he was that, but he's more than that. This language of him standing at the right hand of God, it comes from a couple different places. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Uh, So there, the more common language is Jesus being exalted up into heaven. He he sits down next to God on God's royal throne. Well, in our passage, he's not sitting per se, but he's he's standing. And there's uh, an example in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, the, the clouds of heaven, behold, with the clouds of heaven. Remember that, that glorious cloud that came at Mount Sinai? It's the same language. Uh, Daniel is saying, I saw this clouds of heaven. And he says, there, was, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, a name for God, the father, and was presented before him. And to him there was given glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is language of of Jesus in the glory of God. The clouds of heaven coming into the presence of God and being given a kingdom. It's fulfilled, and we see language of the fulfillment in Revelations chapter 4 and 5. That John is given this beautiful vision of the throne room of God. And, and no one is worthy to approach the throne, it says, and, and take the scroll that God has. And I'm not going to get into all the imagery here, but just notice no one is able to approach the throne. And John's about to cry and, and sad because no one can come and fulfill the plan of God and take this scroll. And then one like a son of man comes and he walks into the presence of God. And, and he goes up to God and he takes this scroll and, and stands in the presence of God. I'm telling you, Jesus can't do that. Jesus can't be this one like a Son of Man coming on the glory clouds of God unless He is God the Son equal in His divine glory and radiance. And, and what do the people do in the book of Revelations? They just bow down and worship. Listen to the, the Word of God. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God that they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels and myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing 
and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The Son, who was crucified and risen, ascended into heaven, takes this scroll, as it were, and is in the very radiating presence of the glory of God. And in this vision, John sees what our future is going to be like. And everybody, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every angel, every demon, every fish, bows down and worships the Father and the Son. Jesus receives divine worship because He's truly God. And in our passage, the people get what Stephen was saying. And they grit their teeth. And they hear Him say this and they, 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 they cry out, Oh my gosh, we can't listen! This is blaspheming! And they pick Him up And they take him outside the city and they gather stones. And we're not talking pebbles. We're talking rocks. And they begin to throw them at Stephen. In Leviticus, the way you uh, punish someone for blaspheming is you take them outside the the city or outside uh, where the people of God are gathered. It's a way of physically showing that they're expulsed from the the community of God's people. And that's where you execute the judgment. You really have either one of two choices here. Either you believe who Jesus is and you worship Him and you acknowledge His glory and you come now and you confess that He is Lord. And sometimes that makes enemies of people that don't like hearing that. Or you wait for the day of judgment where whether you like it now or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because you will see the glory of God and you won't be able to resist the glory of God. But in terms of eternal destiny, while you are acknowledging what you see, your fate is sealed. The passage then goes on and shows us what it's like to entrust ourselves to Jesus. To really believe in Him and hand our whole lives over to Him. And we see that as they come to stone Stephen, what does Stephen say? Verse 59, as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out to them, Jesus, receive my spirit. It's Then he says in verse 60, And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's a euphemism. It's a way of saying his last words before we die, before he died, were, Don't hold this against them. In other words, Stephen wasn't bitter or angry. Sometimes... We get that way. The the natural bent of the human heart is 
when someone does something to us, we got to get them back. There's a certain presidential candidate who has been known to say this. When someone messes with you, get them back and get them even more. That's the nice way of putting some of that language. But what does Stephen say? Stephen is, is very Christ-like. You see, it, it's a picture to us that when, when God saves us, when we put our trust in Jesus, when we entrust ourselves to Him and say, my life is yours, Christ-like character begins to become manifest in our lives. We don't share in the glory of God. But we will, over time, begin to reflect His image. Meaning, our behavior will become more and more like the earthly, humble behavior that Jesus had. Jesus, in Luke 23:34 says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In Luke 23, verse 46, before Jesus dies, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit. My spirit. It's language from Psalm 31. But I want you to see this. Jesus says to God the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take me home, Jesus says to God the Father. Stephen, in the exact same circumstance, now says to Jesus, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, Jesus. It's another example and demonstration that Stephen really believes Jesus truly is God. You don't say to an angel, carry me home to heaven. You don't look like, like some Roman Catholics would. You don't look to, to saints, human beings who were saved by the grace of God. You don't pray to them and say, bring me up into the presence of God and Jesus. You trust Jesus for your salvation. Stephen here, two things are going on. One, he trusts Jesus. And two, Jesus has become his example. How do I know when faith and trust that I have in Jesus is genuine? Because over time, it manifests itself in humility, in Christ-like behavior, just as Christ was in his earthly life, humble and lowly not holding sins against people, not raging at people when they rejected him and he didn't get his way. In the same way, my attitude needs to be. Let me just read two verses, two passages for you. 1 Peter 2, 21, and then verse 23. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's exactly what Stephen does. When he was reviled, Jesus, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is exactly what Stephen does. And that is exactly what we need to do. Hebrews chapter 
12. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for a who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. I say that to you this morning. Don't grow weary and faint-hearted in your faith. Don't lose sight of the great hope that is before us. That you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue in this trust with this confession of faith because you know one day you will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus worshiping before His glory and the glory of the Father. We may not like when hard times come. We may get in periods of our life where we want to lash out at other people. Where we are doing everything we can to hold back our temper and we want to make fun of that person, to mock them, to yell at them and rebuke them just as they did to us. But if you trust Jesus... Just as Stephen trusted Jesus, leave it in his hands. Your job is to come and acknowledge the glory of Jesus. Let him work out all the details of setting all the books right at the day of judgment. You acknowledge who he is because that's the right attitude of the Christian heart. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, we acknowledge you and, and praise you and give you glory. And we do the same for the Holy Spirit who we believe comes down to us in our midst through the preaching of the Word of God and, and seals our hearts for the day of redemption. Lord, take this sermon, the, the weak and, and feeble human words that I brought to try to explain what is going on in this passage. Take all of those things and cement this image, this word of God into our hearts this morning. That we might worship you throughout the week and even next week return to you. Return here to worship you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We have one more hymn uh, that we're going to sing this morning. Uh, It's the hymn, uh, It is Well With My Soul.